You're listening to an irreverent podcast. Visit Irreverent FM for more content from my friends. Hello, hello, and welcome to Bad Words, an evangelical podcast where we give toxic theology the read that it deserves by taking another look at some of the books that have been given major influence in evangelical Christianity. This season, we are reading Wild at Heart by John Eldridge and Captivating by John and Stacey Eldridge, losing the plot on manhood and womanhood one chapter at a time. I am your host, Janice Legata, and I'll be ripping up this week's chapter with a good member of the Bad Book Club. Co-host, introduce yourself, please. My name is Melanie, and I'm an English teacher. I live in the Chicago area. Um, My pronouns, by the way, are she, her, hers. Excellent. So we'll get started with the reading of the opening paragraph. We'll have a discussion and then hear the closing paragraph and send you on your way. For additional context and conversation and the option to listen to these episodes with no ads, I invite you to join the people of Jod by becoming a Jodly or Jod-willing patron on Patreon. But either way, I'm happy you're here and I hope you're ready, because without further ado, let's get into... Captivating Chapter 11. Women are often portrayed in stories and tales as the damsel in distress. We are the ones for whom men rise up and slay dragons. We are the weaker sex, said to faint at the sight of blood, needing to be spared the gory details of battle whether on the field or in the marketplace. We are the ones waiting in our flowing gowns for the knight to come and carry us away on the back of his white horse. And yes, there are days when a knight in shining armor would be most welcome. We do long to be fought for, loved enough to be courageously protected, but there is a mighty strength and fierceness set in the hearts of women by God. This fierceness is true to who we are and what we are created to do. Women are warriors too. So captivating. When, where, why, how did you first become aware of this book? You know, I have more connection to Wild at Heart. So I have a little story. So when my husband and I were we were pretty young in our marriage um, and we had been looking for a church and, you know, back, back then, whenever we would try to find a church, we would try to join like the young married couples. And so then at this particular church, they were doing wild at heart as their study. And the chapter had this, um, anecdote about the man who wants the rock star parking lot or parking spot. And and we were saying, my husband and I were like joyfully sharing we're like, Oh, well that's more like Melanie. She's more of the aggressive. I got to get a good parking spot. And I'm more just like, I'll park, you know, wherever my husband said. And the, the leader of the group, it was the older married couple re- leading the group goes, <laughs> interesting. But for the purposes of this group, let's just go ahead and pretend it was you that wanted the parking spot and we're just like uh, okay like that's fine but like it was it was like we had to pretend that that was the I suppose default role for the husband and that we embodied that you know so which actually that kind of connects to this idea where they're talking about like feeling like feeling that spirit of accusation you know where they're thinking they're doing everything wrong I wonder I gee I wonder where that comes from you know, I just, where could it, where could it be coming from? Where? Yeah. Oh, so yeah. many mysteries, so many mysteries yeah. in this book. <laughs> yeah. So, so did you ever read Captivating? I did not. I had not read Captivating, but then when this popped up, I was like, ooh, yeah, I want to check out the girl version. I want to, I want to see what they have to say over there. So, cause we really felt, I don't remember if we finished the book study, if we stayed with that group very long. Uh, it clearly was not a fit 
for us, you know. And um, I, I, I'm guessing we finished the book, but um, I definitely was. I definitely didn't feel the connection to it. And so then I was like, all right, well, let's see what they've got to say about about the girls. <laughs> and here we are. So, and here we are. Here we are. <laughs> what chapter did you have, and what was it about? So I had chapter 11, and this one was about the, or what is the title of it? I can't even remember. The war, yes, it's it, hard to believe, but the chapter title is Warrior Princesses. <laughs> um, and, and so it seems that it's about a lot of things, <laughs> but it seems to be about how as women, we too can engage in battle, which they convey sometimes as a spiritual battle, but not always. Like they use all of these like really like, I mean, they use a lot of actual war metaphors and and stories, some of them being fictional and then some of them non-fictional. And it's really, yeah, it's really, it's, it's kind of hard to discern what this warrior-ness looks like. Yeah. 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 All of these chapters are a a smorgasbord of what, (laughs) it is so hard to ever focus on one thing. So, yeah, I rarely can get through, yeah, any page without lots of, lots of thoughts, lots of notes. Yeah, my husband printed it out for me, and he goes, "I don't, I don't know how you could read this." <laughs> and I was like, "I was like, well, you know." <laughs> um, it is kind of funny too that they start they start with this quote from the Princess Bride, which is a comedy, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and like a like a really like. Goofy movie. Like, I mean, which is, it's a good movie, but it's very goofy, you know? Yeah. Me, a princess, you are the legal heir. I never lead anyone. We will help you to be a princess, to rule. If you refuse to accept the throne, then the kingdom will cease to exist as we know it. Right. Right. So the princess diaries, and then right below that, (laughs) you know, because they're the same. Yeah. A quote from Joan Joan of Arc. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> exactly the yes. same totally yeah. totally Equal weight, you know yeah 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 that makes sense that's probably the only exclamation point in the whole chapter that i approve of <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness gracious because <laughs> joan is the only one who earned an exclamation point yeah i mean you know if you're actually going into battle i'd say like yeah go ahead you use that exclamation point but like Right. And I think that's all the that's all the play Joan of Arc gets in this chapter. Yeah. Which is bizarre. Very bizarre. Very bizarre. I so I thought so then then he autumn or they, whoever's writing, (laughs) they go into this this thing where she's talking about she's well, there's the Viking Chronicler. The yeah, <laughs> which which I hated because yeah. there is an old tale of an of an invasion against the Vikings, who were the first Europeans to explore North America and settle here. 
And the Viking camp was attacked by Indians, first of all. <laughs> what? And then yeah. you can't be invaded by people you are invading. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they are not. Yeah. You know, but this book is written with with this very colonizing, very yeah. Confederate yes. mindset. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it's and it's it's this obsession with war is very odd to me. So when she's talking about how when she was a little, she goes right from that after she says that this Viking killed the person they were colonizing, um, right. the woman, um, and then then exclamation point! What a woman! Exclamation point! <laughs> <laughs> I wrote LOL next to that. <laughs> and then she starts talking about how when she was a little kid she wished that she could like go to war and I I do I do I very immediately got and, and I think it's um, interesting what you said about like that white colonizer attitude it's that war obsession that glorification of patriotism and all of that stuff you know and it's like I don't want to go to war, like, right. at all. Yeah. So it starts with those Vikings, and it talks about, yeah, how she, she, allegedly she, so we're pretending she yeah. this, but yeah, so she used to love World War II movies and longed to be part of them, um, and then it talks about during the Civil War, and I'm just assuming, because in Wild at Heart, John talks about, he's like pra- praising, you know, General Lee, like, like praising like this Confederate. I'm like, man, Jeez. you guys, like, there are union, like, you didn't have, but so whatever. So I'm just assuming that you know she's dreaming of joining the Confederacy and you know doing whatever. So real, real story, real story, real story. And then we're gonna go into the Return of the King. And, and a lot, we're gonna do a long exploration of this yes. fictional chick. This yeah. fiction, yeah. Of this yeah. fictional account in this fictional story about this fictional woman, yeah. and that gets basically a whole page. Yeah, whole page, whole page. And and I I guess I I don't I don't object to the idea that fiction can teach us things, right? That like the stories we tell, they matter. They they tell us things. It is just quite odd. That after, I mean, so what I, when I read the thing about the Civil War ladies, I actually Googled it. And, and I mean, like, it was kind of funny. It was like, they did the same research I did. They Googled Civil War. <laughs> and, and, and like the first line of the article on the History, History Channel website was more than 400 women participated in the Civil War. And I was like, oh, but then if you keep reading, there is stuff about the Union, there's stuff about the Confederacy and how the different ways that women on both sides participated. Very, and, and apparently in the Union, it was like 20,000 women or, or on one of the sides, but there was quite a lot more to it. And so there was a lot more information that they could have mined from our from reality, but then instead they went with, Tolkien, uh, you know, and I, that, that, that's odd to me, you know? Yeah. And especially because, again, we're talking about 
warrior princesses. So like I said, it's odd that Joan of Arc didn't get more than that little mention. Um, mm. And then I was waiting for, and they they do throw it in later, but it's literally like barely gets barely gets a paragraph of you know JL and you know the tent peg through the head. Yeah. And I'm like, if this is this is a Christian book, and you're talking about women in war, if you're gonna give a whole page to this fictional fairy tale character, mm-hmm. why you could have you could have used this time. To expand that story of jail, but like, but yeah. like you're literally like, oh, it doesn't get much yeah. in the Bible, and we're not going to give it any here. Yeah, um, I wonder. I wonder if. I wonder to what extent that is their own maybe lack of attention to the Bible, or are they assuming their audience is more into things like the princess diaries and braveheart and if so i guess i guess i kind of think like you know if so then how about i just watch the princess diaries like if i want to you know if i want to learn about being a woman warrior from them then i'll just watch that you know it's easier than reading this book that i don't know it's it's an odd it's an odd choice as an author you know yeah. yeah, yeah, especially because if you are, I mean, they basically take this story of, you know, from the return of the king and just kind of in some places, word for word, like here's, here's what it says, but then, you know, take the time to expand it out, whatever. And I'm like, you could do that with these Bible stories if you yeah. wanted to, like, even right. if your assumption is, oh, nobody's going to know this story, you're right. assuming I know this story. Like, yeah. there's just a lot of assumptions in, in the movies that they use, in the references that, that they use. Not just in this chapter, it's the whole, the whole of both books. Very, yeah. very movie heavy. And well, I will be, I will be honest with you, I have a master's in English and I have not read Tolkien. So, I mean, who is the audience? Who's the Tolkien audience, you know? Right. But, right. but I do think there is a very specific, like, kind of, like, Christian 25 year old boy who's like, I got a man. I'm like, I, yeah, I, I really into the biblical nature of Tolkien, you know? Right. I guess. And then I guess he reads this and he's like, I gotta get me a wife like, like that. Or something. I don't know. <laughs> but then I'm like, did they, have they even read Tolkien or did they just. Or they like the someone, they watched the movies <laughs> and then just pulled, you know, yeah. Just went looking for that part in the book and pulled yeah. from it. That would make a lot of sense. Yeah. Because it's very, very visual, you know. In the mythic story of the Return of the King, nah, she's got, she rides beautifully and handles the sword with deadly skill. You, this is the movie. You're yeah. taking this from the movie, and then you pulled a little text. And again, these are all things you could have done with the Bible stories. Absolutely. If you wanted to. Yeah, yeah, if that's your thing. Yeah, if that's where you, you're, I mean, you would think that they would want to draw from the Bible to, because they clearly have a lot of, because then when we leave Tolkien and it's actually after she slays her enemy, then they go into women are called to join the greatest battle, capital G, capital B, of all time. The battle being waged for the hearts of those around us. The human heart is a battlefield. Um, and then, um, 
but we will only be victorious when we enter with our feminine hearts when we battle as women. Right. I was like, wow, okay. Right. After you literally just opened this chapter with all of these stories of women battling as men. Yeah. (laughs) This was the whole premise. Like, these were women... Yeah, you're always, as a woman, you don't have a choice but to battle as a woman. You are going to. But you've just told all these stories of women having to dress and engage and act as men to be allowed into the battle. And this is before everybody became obsessed with, like, trans people and how they're, and, and like, gender expression and stuff like that. Um, everyone in the church became obsessed with controlling that right Right. and and yet like these books are out there where they glorify gender nonconformity right 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 and and that's and i think that's interesting that in this context it's okay like i i wonder what like a 2022 audience like a conservative audience would pick up this book and and they and i'm sure they would have a, a justification for well in that case it was okay to wear up, you know, the gender, you know, a gender clothing that's not assigned to you, you know? Right. Right. Yeah, that's the, just a, just a, just a, a whisper of hypocrisy there. You know? <laughs> <laughs> just to, just to keep us going, just to energize us. <laughs> right, and then it comes back at the end in that, you know, that weird bit about the, the armor of God. And, you yes. know, and she's saying... Oh, uh, don't worry. You can put on the armor of God and still like be woman. I was like, that is literally nothing I ever thought or worried about. Like, <laughs> I don't know. This spiritual armor sounds really bulky, and you know, it it's, not gonna go, it's not going to go. It's not going to go in my dress. <laughs> literally nothing I ever worried about. But okay. Yeah. <laughs> And no man will be attracted to me when I'm wearing this armor. So I don't know how I can provide a haven for him. Right. You know, I'm going to be hard. Like my body will be physically hard. Like <laughs> oh, oh, this, is, this is part of why being a woman is so hard. Oh. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Ooh. So then it gets into, <laughs> and then like, uh, Stacy, both of them bum me out. Like I'm like, are you guys okay? Because sometimes you say things that just make me really sad. Yeah. <laughs> so she brings up, and this is the second time it comes up in this book. No, maybe it, maybe the first time we see it in this book, but it comes up in Wild at Heart. Her dizzy spells. Yeah. And how? And and Wild at Heart, like it says, is at least ten years. Um, ten years? Yeah. Of dizzy spells? Of dizzy spells that she never mentioned to her husband. And did she never go to the doctor? Apparently not. That's the thing that I thought was very weird, was that she gets dizzy, and then then they say, so we decided to perform it, and there was the experiment, and I thought, why not go to the doctor? You know? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I I don't don't have a problem with praying to heal like I think that's fine but I also think it's okay to go to the doctor you know and they, they're not it's, it's a there's a lot of weird um there's a lot of weird medical stuff in this section in this chapter, yeah 
Yeah. 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 So, but so it, she was dizzy for 10 years? For 10 years. I mean, she said she lived with it, like, for all of her life, but they've been married for, like, 10 years at this point. Um, and it, like I said, they just bummed me out. She said it was something I had lived with, with or under for years, but it never occurred to me to tell him about it. To me, it was normal. I'm like, how do you not, how do you not mention that to your husband? I don't have a husband, but I'm like, I, that's something I would tell my friends, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, guys, like, I just, I just get dizzy sometimes. Yeah. Um, and it, I don't know. You're married. Is that something you would mention? I would, yes. I would mention. And I, because, I, like, I guess I'm kind of thinking of all the situations in which it would occur, right? Like, you'd be, you know, just, you know, standing there making dinner together or, you know, I mean... Uh, yeah, I, I, and then wouldn't you physically look different, you know, when you're feeling dizzy? And wouldn't he ask, like, hey, babe, you okay? Like, right. it's an odd thing. And the other stuff between them does, like you said, kind of makes me wonder, like, you guys okay? Like, because it seems like their communication is, and, and, and it's, it's got to be tied up in some of these expectations of what marriage is supposed to look like, right? You know, because, but the communication seems really off between them, you know. Ten years of dizzy spells that I forgot to mention. Like, I just didn't, didn't mention. It was um, not his concern. Right. <laughs> but there's another part, and it is in Captivating, maybe chapter eight or chapter nine, but where she says, you know, it's the... Oh, like the kindest thing John ever ever asked me could ever ask me, you know, is, is how are you doing? Like, and it was just like, this is so sad. Like, yeah, just these basic, almost less than basic, like just human communication. And yeah. you're like, over. Oh, he shows me that he cares so much, and he asked me, you know, how was your day? And you're just like, again, are you guys, are you guys okay? I mean, like, the Starbucks lady will often ask how you're doing, you know? Like, the barista will be like, how's it going today? You know? Right. Right. And you might, maybe you tell her, oh, I'm a little bit dizzy. And, like, now she knows something. <laughs> She's like, you know, oh, let me make sure I give you an extra shot today, hon. I bet you're tired. So now she knows more about you than your spouse does. <laughs> My goodness. My so yeah it's it's doing a lot to uh, encourage christian marriage definitely you know (laughs) to that (laughs) so yeah so then they perform the experiment yes um she gets hit with dizziness prays and commands it to leave in the authority of jesus name and guess what it left it left whoa exclamation mark (laughs) yep yeah. Immediately. I was stunned. Immediately. And then, and then she calls them dizzy spells and in parentheses says interesting phrase. I suppose some sort of witchcraft is afoot. <laughs> <laughs> Someone has cast a spell on her. I was like, and it's so passive and it's so it's it's so what when you're in that church culture, you know, when you're in that bubble, that's like exactly what somebody would say. They would say, well, it's funny that they use the word spells. And you're like, it's not the same. It's a different, like, yes, sometimes two words. Let's sit a spell. That's not, 
That's not, it's not time. It's not, yeah, yeah, it's, but okay, okay, Christians. But yeah, and they, they would just like, you know, we, at, at, the, at there was a time when I would be like, oh yes, that is an interesting phrase. <laughs> so, ooh, highlight that. Mm. Yes, yes, it's demons. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. she, so she, yeah, so it left immediately. And then I'm like, well, you haven't, you've been having these spells for years. You haven't yeah. mentioned it to your husband. And you also haven't told us how they work. I don't know how long your typical dizzy spell lasts. So to say that it left immediately, how long did it take before? And like, what it it always leaves at some point, right? Because you haven't been dizzy your entire these entire yeah, years. Yeah, because hence the term spells, right? Like, right. yeah, not it's not like a dizzy existence, you know? Yeah. Right. So is there what is the difference between you have a dizzy spell, so you just rip the counter and you just ride it out for fifteen seconds versus dizzy spell you grip the counter and now you say leave in the name of jesus and yeah. it does but it's the same 15 seconds like yeah yeah i don't know yeah i don't know that that this christian magic is working yeah yeah i mean and we don't know that it's not working we just really don't have a lot of evidence like we just don't have like you right. said we don't have a lot of detail we don't know how long it lasted like we don't you know, are they usually 20 minutes, but this time it was two? Okay. So something happened right. there, but we just don't know. And, you know, it's, but then, but then she had one that knocked her off her feet. And then that was her last one. She's never been assaulted by dizziness again. She prayed, commanding it to leave in the name of Jesus Christ. And then it right. Right. She had lived with it for decades. Mm-hmm. And it was now gone for good. For good. Yeah. Which, I don't know. So, I mean, this chapter has a, uh, has a lot. The whole book, but this chapter in particular, just a lot of weird spiritual yeah. stuff. And a lot of it, yeah. like, I'm like, oh, well, I'm just going to have to put that on the shelf because I don't really know what to do with spiritual warfare stuff at this point. I definitely think, yes, there is a spirit world. I don't at this point believe in the traditional Christian demonology you know this idea that demons are just here and just out to get us it just seems like a waste of their time honestly like <laughs> like yeah. humanity is just not that complicated and i just yeah. feel like you know with the devil with the demons all of this like y'all would have been really bored with us really fast like yeah. like we really gotta get this stacy lady we really gotta get her <laughs> we gotta make her dizzy for for multiple decades um, but then, you know, if she tells us to go, we'll go, you know, <laughs> we'll but go. Like, we just, you know, we just got to mess with her. Right. You know? And God, meanwhile, was like, well, I mean, my hands are tied because you haven't invoked <laughs> me by name, this particular thing. So yeah. I don't, <laughs> there's nothing I can do until you say, call my name for this particular issue. This yeah. can't really do anything. And until you, it, until you essentially cast a spell. Right? Ooh. Yeah. Because isn't that like the same, like, it's, it's kind of, I mean, it's the same, like, um, sequencing, right? You know, like, I gotta, I gotta say these specific words, you know, right. and then, and then God, who always could have fixed it, you know, right. like, just snap your fingers, right? And then he'll be like, all right, yeah, there, there you go. There, there you go. go. 
There you go. But it, not even that, because first these dem- demons are going to intensify. Yes. And <laughs> you're going to have to learn how to fight even harder. Yeah. And it's just, <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, this is just a weird, a weird process. And it's just weird that at no point, at no point did God ever whisper, you know, before we get to the whole spiritual warfare, no, your husband. Hey, <laughs> share it with someone. Yeah. <laughs> this is not normal. For decades. For decades. That's <laughs> so weird. I mean, I don't know. And maybe I'm kind of a baby, but like if I have a headache, I always tell my friend. <laughs> like my best friend at work, we all share, We, you know, we've got the bottle of Excedrin that we share, you know. Like, every, you know, if I've got a headache, she knows, you know. And I know where her headaches come to. Hey. Right, or if like if if you're having dizzy spells for decades, I guess it's feasible. Maybe you could think it does happen to everyone, but then wouldn't you mention it at some point, kind of in that way, like you know, when we get those dizzy spells, you know? Right. <laughs> you, know. <laughs> you know, on Tuesdays, <laughs> you know the thing, the fire, the the tornado test thing goes off. And then you get the Disney spells. <laughs> you and then, the Disney spells. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You, he's never mentioned it from either either side. Like it's hmm. just so normal so, to me. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So do you think? That. I wonder if. So do you think? I mean, all of this this makes me wonder. Like, do you think? Do you think she? made up this example, exaggerated this example, you know, was it maybe the power of suggestion and reading that Neil Anderson book, who I did not know was a doctor, by the way, I'm curious about that. Um, but, uh, doctor of what, um, but you know, maybe it was like the power of suggestion, you know, that she was like, Oh yeah, you know what? I get those too. I don't know. It's, it's, it makes, I think it makes it a little unbelievable, I guess, you know? So, well, I mean, this book, both both books are to me works of fiction. You guys and and Christ, Christians Christians do it all the time. Pastors do it all the time. We all do it. And so, we're like yeah. you know, when we're telling stories, we just compact details and you know bring, which is fine. That's how we communicate. But when you are using that to do sermons or write a book or whatever, you can't you can't because you're telling stories that aren't true. At this point, mm. especially, yeah, and especially when at the heart of this religion is this argument of commitment to truth and not just, you know, your truth and my truth, but like the truth, the only truth, right? And so it would, it would, for the sake of your personal integrity, it would suggest that maybe you should you you should stick to the truth stick to the reality you know like the the actual factual stuff you know right right but that does that rule doesn't apply to that that only it's (laughs) it's it's on it's a case-by-case basis (laughs) and then like she's just i'm like you're you're not a reliable witness because you've had these Mm -hmm. dizzy spells for for decades and haven't said anything about them and now you're going to give me a clear account and then also knowing knowing the pressure of Christianity and to have a great testimony. And it's just not as good of a testimony mm. if 
you know, like I said, yeah, these dizzy spells always mm. last for this amount of time, but I used the name of Jesus this time and it just felt different. Yeah. And then also I'm thinking, well, later in the chapter, she goes on to mention getting on medication of antidepressants. Yes. And I'm like, well, what is the timeline here? Because is that possibly affecting this? Like, yeah. just because you weren't given medication for that particular thing doesn't yes. mean that something else you were dealing with wasn't part of that. And, you know, that was a symptom of that. Yeah. Like, I don't, was it the name of Jesus or was it the medication? Let's support yeah. 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 Like, I, I was, that was such, I had so many conflicting feelings about that section because I, I really appreciated that she was honest about the role that antidepressants can play for a person who is clinically depressed. And, and, um, and I, and she's a hundred percent right that people in the church they will shame you. They will put you down. They will say, if you just pray harder, then you'll get better, you know, and, and that, or they don't believe that you're depressed. Like, so, you know, I, I encountered that myself when I, I had postpartum after my daughter, my second daughter was born and I basically had, are you familiar with the Stephen ministers? Mm -mm. It's like kind of like a lay counseling thing that I think is, terrible it's it's so like so if you have a crisis in your life if your church has a Stephen ministry they'll put you with a Stephen minister and so the Stephen minister so I'm like sitting there with postpartum I don't know what to do with myself and she and she said to me like well you know you have two kids you have a husband you have a house like uh, like what are you so depressed about and I was like I don't know that's part of the question you know and but it was but I just kind of I feel like the role that they play could be like very destructive because this total tangent, but they, but they kind of have this like, not professional, but ministerial role, you know, that's elevated. And then they're kind of, they have clearly no qualifications in these types of things. So that being said, I was grateful to hear her talk like about depression, you know, in a, in a, in a more, in a slightly more honest way than she's clearly talking about some of this other stuff. So that was, but, but at the same time, there's a lot of weird, like just her relationship with medical things in this chapter is very weird, you know? Yeah. 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 When it got, when it got to that medication part, I was like, okay, I am thankful that she is weighing in on this side of it, but also I'm very, very sure that she is weighing in on this side of it because this is her experience. And had she had a different experience, she would have different advice and a different, yeah. You know, different. And even in that, she's still, yes, the medication, but also spiritual warfare. And yes. it's both. Like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It can't, it can't work. And her motivation for getting well came about because she wanted to work at a, quote, crisis pregnancy center, which is very cringe. Um, so many just that paragraph is full of red flags i'm very and I, I so i suppose once she was healed she was able to go and volunteer at the crisis pregnancy center where then she would provide misinformation to pregnant people who aren't mm -hmm. sure how to proceed so that's so so that's so that justifies her need to take antidepressants you know right 
Because she's going to go out and do the, the Lord's work. Right. Yeah, so in this chapter, we're dealing with these dizzy spells, the, the depression. Also, you know, I was like, oh, that sounds like postpartum. Because she also mentioned, you know, after her second child, and this was, you know. So we're dealing with all these issues. But then she just glosses over all this trauma. So it's like, we're already, you know, getting glimpses into your marriage, which doesn't, which seems, uh, I don't know, are you guys okay? Um, but the, even as a child, depression and suicidal thoughts plagued me. That's, wow. That's a lot. Yeah. And didn't she say she attempted suicide when she was 10? When you're 10. My that's, goodness. Yeah, that's really scary. Like, that that was really sad. Like, yeah. I was... And she kind of... Yeah, she did kind of move over, like, go over that real quick. Like... Yeah. Just... Um, just uh, we're just going to drop that there. And then, you know, move to Colorado Springs. Oh, red flag. <laughs> I wanted to volunteer at the local crisis pregnancy center. Uh-oh. Red flag. I wanted to be the counselor who did the pregnancy testing and met with the young women, you know, because I had an abortion when I was in high school. Yeah, I felt part of my soul died with my unborn child. Red flag. And yes. it's just all of this. Oh, no, you've got so much unresolved trauma. Yeah. And so, yes, yeah. they put you in this program. And then, you know, just the weird... They don't, even, they don't even say it, but it's just like, oh, just this weird Christian leadership thing where, like, you know, they don't allow women who have previous abortions to counsel others until, you know. How do they know that? Oh, just that Christian leadership thing where you just ask people anything. Like, you just feel entitled yeah. to whatever personal information you want about people. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So you have to reveal that going in. And then, they're like, oh, nope. So now you got to go through this class. And also, we realize this class is probably going to bring up some other stuff, but that's not, we don't care about that. That's on yeah. you. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. go through this. But also, when all this other stuff comes up, good luck. Because, yeah, yeah, we're not concerned. And so it's yeah. just this, yeah, just all these red flags just about evangelical pastoral care in a lot of ways yeah. where it's again unqualified people digging into and digging up things that are just not you shouldn't be doing that like if you don't have the resources to help yeah. people and it's 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 quite an assumption that someone who someone who has had an abortion is un qualified and I, I always I always like like you said with the red flags it's always intriguing to me these folks who are like well I had an abortion that I regretted but like you did have a choice like you still have the choice to make and I mean you know, and there's you see you see these folks at the, the the rallies and stuff saying like, oh yeah, I had one and I I regretted it, and it's like yeah, but like you people make choices all the time that they regret, but you got to make that choice. You know, it's it's very very. I, I mean, I guess hypocritical is kind of like my go to, but it's also just very toned up. Uh, I mean. Evangelicalism likes to paint, likes loves to paint with a broad brush, and yeah, we're gonna take whatever example we like, and we're gonna say this is this is it for everyone. And so that's the same mm -hmm. with with 
with any kind of testimony, really. But it's like, unless you, unless you have somehow met someone who is in the exact same situation that you were in at that exact same moment, I understand your regret. And that's terrible. And that's yours to deal with, honestly. But like, just because you regretted that doesn't mean this person is going to. And that's not yours to put on somebody else to say you should feel this way. I know you're yeah. going to feel this way. So now I'm going to stop. Like it's, you can't, you can't do it. Um, and yeah, I always wonder with um, women who are, or someone, someone who's had an abortion in the church, I guess I always wonder where does that guilt come from? Does that come from like a, a true sense of, I, I should have this little six-year-old running around um, or does it just come from all of the shaming that's happening in the church? You know, like, I, I think it's, I think it would be impossible to separate that, you know, because, because they're clearly in that, you know, environment. And, and I would imagine what, I mean, what if there was a Christian woman who was like, no, dude, I, I don't regret it. Like I was, I was 15 and, and like the dad was, not ready to be a dad. I wasn't ready to be a mom. And so yeah, we made a decision and I don't regret it. Like what would happen to that person in the church? Would they, would there be a space for that? You know? Right. So it's like, you don't have a choice, but to regret, you know? Right. Right. And there's so much just policing of, of feelings and what we're supposed to feel and not feel. Cause even, even with, you know, you don't have to go all the way to abortion. You can just go just to, just to sex. Just, just the sex they had. Yep. <laughs> right. And people who feel guilty because they don't feel guilty. And, you know, and this idea of, oh, well, I must be really bad because this thing they told me is bad and now I've done it, but I don't feel bad about it. But now I feel bad about that. Like, there's just so much, all these ideas of what you were supposed to feel. And if you don't feel bad, then that says something even worse about you. And so, right. like, if that's just with sex that abortion is even worse, you know? So if I don't, if I don't regret this, what does that say about me? Mm -hmm. So it's just, oh, I mean, to me, I'm oh, these are just all, all these, <laughs> whichever way you're gonna go, we got a trap for you. Like, yeah, <laughs> whatever yeah. you do or don't do, we're gonna make you feel bad about it. Well, because being a teen mom in a church couldn't, can't be a picnic either, you know, because then you're just, then everybody knows your business. Everybody knows you, you had sex, obviously. Uh, and, and then you've got the kid and, you know, there's going to be judgment there as well. And I would imagine the support would be probably based on your, your ability to repent. You know, or to, or to say, you know, you're going to raise your kids a certain way, you know, like it wouldn't just be like, Hey, here's some support, you know, like no strings attached here. Here's some money. Right. Right. And like, you know, based on, based on the little glimpses we've gotten of her, of in her life up to this point, you would not be writing this book. You would not be married to this man. You were already in a very traumatic situation. Yeah. Um, I don't see having that baby in high school setting you off on a better trajectory. Like, mm. And I think, I think that also, that can also cause people guilt. Like this idea of knowing that, oh no, this actually did help, help my life. This, mm. 
this did set me up for a better right. way because yeah just from what I have know of John Eldridge just, just from these books and just from like again the little glimpses of the relationship this is not someone who was going to take you on with with a kid with a kid no no that's, that's a, a great, great that's a great, great point. point yeah 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 Ooh. Yeah, I, I agree. Are they okay? I, I don't know. I don't. Yeah, that's that's really sad. That's a really sad thought, you know. Like, and and it, you know, then being married to him, she'd have no choice but to just be like, "Oh, I was terrible back then, and now, now that I'm with you, right? My the head of my life. Ah. Everything is beautiful now, except you never asked me how I'm doing." <laughs> It's like you didn't know about my decades of chronic dizziness until we got a book. Yeah. <laughs> On a lighter note, I I really think that this word choice in this sentence, a foul spirit of depression had its, not claws, but bloody claws in my life. Like, that is... That is... How did the editor, how did the editor allow that past? Is, I mean, uh, look, there's a lot of, there's a lot of really aggressive adjectives and, and adverbs in this, in this book, you know, and I, and I, I noticed them quite a bit, but, but I underlined that foul one. <laughs> bloody claws. How did they get bloody? Hey, yeah. Who's, who's blood is that? Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't even know spirits had claws. Right. But then that's the, you know, <laughs> and we're getting into just the Christian demonology and all of this. Because, you know, yeah. on one hand, Satan appears as an angel of light and is supposed to be the most beautiful, you know, deceptive thing. But then there's this idea that, I don't know, so if it's a spirit of depression, then it was originally probably an angel of mm. what's the opposite of depression? Happiness? Joy. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it was an angel Peace. of joy. And then it decided to follow Satan. And then I guess just became this gnarly beast. Yeah. That is now the spirit of depression. Um, and has bloody claws. Bloody claws. <laughs> and yeah. just had. Had those bloody claws in her life early on, early, early on. Yeah. Which, you know, again, I'm going to have to turn and look at God and be like, well, why? Yeah. Why? Why are you allowing this? Mm. Um, and especially because he's decades away from having the man who's going to be able to help her fight this. Like, mm. What? Yeah. What? What is this God? What is this? this view and this image of God. Mm -hmm. I don't know, because, you know, the battle is won, but it, it's not really... Still well, and then in that same paragraph, she quotes Ephesians, where it where he's writing to Christians, that's what she emphasizes, or he, somebody's emphasizing, he warns us not to give the devil a foothold in our lives through unhealed and mishandled emotions. So this goes back to you know, you're, it's your fault. It's your fault. It's your fault. You're sick. It's, you know, she, she just, you know, 
said it was okay to take antidepressants, which I agree with. But then, but it's still spiritually, you're still at fault if you don't deal with it. And I, I mean, I believe that we, it is our job, you know, to, to handle our emotions so we can help like process them in a healthy way. That is our job. Yes. As a, as a person. And then in such a way that we do not cause harm to others. I don't think I would call it like a giving the devil the foothold though. You know, like I wouldn't call it like a sin, you know, I think it's, it's a health issue, you know, and a lot, I mean, it's certainly in the church, nobody's teaching you how to handle your emotions. Nobody's teaching you how to feel the, feel your feelings in such a way that they don't come out and attack others, you know, or, or cause harm to you. No one's, no one's teaching that. No, no, if anything, the church is teaching the opposite. Like, it's just teaching you to repress and withhold your emotions so much that, like, there's no way. It's only mishandling, you know, by not handling. Don't feel that. Don't think that, you know. Because even in her own story... Well, she and her husband are not alone either, like, as, as as we will soon read. So... Oh, yeah, they were, they were joined in marriage... By the spirit of accusation. Yes, yes. Yeah, this was, this was odd. This was. <laughs> in a book of oddities, in a chapter <laughs> of odd things. I, I, I really think, I mean, I, this was really sad. And I, I think, I do think having, I, so I've been married for 21 years and we were, we met at Bible study, you know, and we, we waited until the wedding. We waited, you know, we, we got married after 10 months of being together, you know, and so we, I think, I think in a lot of ways, things could have gone very poor. And we had no money when we got married. Things could have gone very poorly for us, like just based on like the pre-work that we did prior to the marriage. So I feel very thankful that I, that I quickly married a good one. Um, but I, I do remember, and I, when we were more involved in this type of church, the expectations that were on both of us to look a certain way as a couple, to behave a certain way as a couple. And I, I mean, I never, I don't know if, I, I doubt there was anyone who ever thought, She's a submissive wife. Like, I I don't, I don't, I don't think I ever, I don't think I ever pulled that off. But those expectations that are on you, it seems like they both had like a set of expectations on themselves of what marriage was supposed to look like and what they as part of that marriage were supposed to look like. And so they both felt that the other was unhappy and unsatisfied and disapproved of them. And then they finally had a conversation, thank God. You know, they finally talked about it and they both were like, no, I like you. And she's like, I like you too. You know, and they're good and we're good. And, and to call it a spirit of accusation, I mean, why don't you just call it your church? Like call it what it is. I mean, like I've, I've been as a Christian woman, I've been to conferences. I mean, just the whole, like the sex thing, the idea that like, first of all, the idea that my husband is a raging bag of hormones that will never be sated ever. 
and that I need to be available to him 24 hours a day, seven days a week, just that in and of itself, no couple can live up to that. And that's just like the basic animal thing, you know? And then, and then the, all, all the other expectations, are, that's the spirit of accusation. It's coming right from your church, it's coming right from all these books, you know, that Christian women and men are reading and being sold this role that's so limited, you know? And it's so, like, ethnocentric, too, like, in America. It's, like, so American, middle-class, white, suburban. Like, you know, I mean, like, it's like if you if you take the same couple and you move them to, like, a city or you move them to, like, another country, like, 80% of the stuff doesn't even work, doesn't even apply, you know? Like, it just doesn't make sense, you know, to so many different types of humans. And yet, we are all expected to embody it fully. Or we yeah. will be a great disappointment to our spouse. And it's both of them. This this is also in Wild at Heart from it's the same perspective because it's the work of fiction by John Eldridge. Um, mm. But but both times it's like you're not. I just I just don't I just don't understand this relationship. And again, I'm not married, but I would think I would hope if I were, then I would be treating that person as as a friend. And so, like, I couldn't be in a friendship where, you know, they're talking about what I'm thinking about what the other person is thinking. If I'm thinking you're thinking that about me, like, they don't say it. They don't, they don't deal with their own emotions. But, like, how are you feeling in that? And regardless of what I think you're thinking, I know what I'm feeling. And I feel like I should be able to talk to my friend about that. And if I can't, then yeah. we're not we're not friends. And so we don't need to do this. And so like Christianity just does this weird thing with marriage. It's like, well, you're married now. So you're in this commitment. So that's it. So you're not, we're not going to talk about, we're just not going to talk. So it's not, (laughs) if it's a spirit of anything, it's a spirit of not communicating a spirit of, you know, this isn't, this isn't accusation. Like this is silence. Like, I don't know what this is, but yeah. It's just, again, are you guys okay? Like, well, and it tracks with the whole, like, I didn't tell him I was dizzy for multiple decades thing. You know, like... Right. Yeah. <laughs> and he didn't notice. Yeah. Yeah. I do I do think, especially on wives, evangelical wives, I think there's this pressure to... It, it, the way you were just talking about marriage and how there's, there's an implied, like... Um, comfort level there. You would be friends. You would be friendly. You know, you'd be able to talk about things and stuff. And I, and I do think there's this whole performative thing for evangelical women to, to be this proper little thing, emphasis on little, um, and to, to not, I don't want to stress him out because obviously he's, he's the one who's the primary breadwinner and all of that stuff too. You know, and so there's this, it's almost, but the way, the way, the way we're describing what's happening here, it's like, they're still kind of on the second date, you know, and they're like trying to put their best foot forward, you know, and I, I, I think, I think there's some of that in marriage. It's like, where you, you know, you, still dress cute and you make the food they like sometimes, you know, and, you know, you do nice things for each other because you like each other, but it's not a performance. Like I I don't need to be graded on this, you know, and it's, it is, it's very, it is very sad and oppressive, you know, to, 
to couples who, and I think, I think, you know, I go back to that, you know, the wild at heart study that we were at. Well, let's just pretend for the purposes of this conversation that you and your husband are actually biblical or something, <laughs> you know, and, and it's like, you know, we're sitting there, we're like, we're young kids, we're a happy young married couple, you know, like, and we got to pretend that we're something else so that we can conform to, I guess, John Eldridge's and the church that we were sitting in, you know, their view of what, what a married couple should look like. And, and it can, it can look like a lot of things, you know, and I think to stay married, at least in our experience, we've evolved quite a bit, like on the spiritual things for sure. But we've also evolved just like in our career paths and, and our lifestyle. And like one of the big things we've had to do is let each other grow and let each other be ourselves. You know, and if you don't do that, you can't stay with somebody for 20 years and be like, oh, they're going to be the same as they were on the wedding day. And there just doesn't, this doesn't seem to allow for that because it's just such a tight um, description. It's a job description. It's very, you know, specific it's like they are still interviewing or auditioning for this role yeah 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 and 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 like you said you know like it's for life right like everybody everybody assumes you know in the in the church like you if you get divorced that would be a big failure too so then to be auditioning like forever right and if he has no way out what are you auditioning for yeah, I don't. because it's not. I guess it to be liked by this person, but also like, I mean, I guess they did at a certain point. <laughs> Finally, and do you like me? Can I can? Because I don't think you like me. Well, I didn't think you liked me. <laughs> yeah, but we actually do like each other, <laughs> right. and then we blamed it on the devil. <laughs> and the devil was like, "I've never liked either one of you." <laughs> and also, and actually, I'm busy. I've yeah, been I, over I here. I checked out long ago because <laughs> this was miserable. I'm really not. I'm really not concerned with making you feel self conscious. Like <laughs> <Because> <laughs> you're again, not living up to a made up thing. This is so beneath my pay grade. What? Yeah. <laughs> Leave me out of this. Well, they did. They kicked him out. They kicked, kicked him out. out. Yeah. Took authority. And it, it changed everything. Everything. It needed its own sentence. <laughs> like its own, its own sentence paragraph. It changed everything. It changed everything. But we know that yeah. like, it's deep, meaningful, and serious because that's a period there. That's she literally there. said that we now could believe that we liked each other. We were for each other. We're like, dude, what other. are you doing? <laughs> if you don't think you like this guy, like, that is a big red flag. Like, if you are in a relationship with somebody and you wake up in the morning and you're like, I don't think he likes me, it's time to get some counseling. Like, <laughs> you know, like, that is, like, the bottom line. Like, that is, like, you know, like, I I, can, I like you is, like, just, like, a step above, like, I tolerate you. Like, you know, right. like, I like my neighbors. You know, I'm not married to them. You know? <laughs> but you could be now. I mean, I guess. Apparently, I guess that's the, that's all you need. <laughs> but no, they, in, in Wild at Heart, Don talks about the day after, day after they got married, and he woke up with, like, just this rush of fear and regret. 
and he's oh, wow. like, you know, I, I have to spend the rest of my life with this woman. I'm like, my man, you the day after, the morning after your first thought is cold, hard regret, and you're like, oh my, what did I just do? Oh, these, they're not open. That's, that's okay. That's messed up. But and there's so, but there is so much pressure to get married. There's so much pressure on young young single Christians, you know, to to get married, to make babies, you know, to and and not just to get married, but then to fulfill this ideal idealized created you know role play. And and so it's yeah. I mean, I I, I would think you would be afraid you know, at that point, you know, because not only what did I just get myself into with this girl, which with this woman, but then also just like, this is a huge role that, you know, I, I have no idea what I'm doing. Right. Right. <laughs> and I'm 10 years away from knowing if she even likes me. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> 10 years is such a long time. <laughs> And let's be real, like, when you're in a relationship with someone, you don't like them, like, 24-7. Like, you, you know, there are some times when you're just like, like, you can go over there, and I'm going to give myself a little time out over here, you know? Like, I mean, it's just part of marriage, you know? It's part of just living with other humans, you know? But, <laughs> so then yeah. I was reading this section, and then I wrote, um, I said, well, God didn't even want them to have kings. Um, so I just wonder, like, what... If the Bible was written today, because she says, you know, we will be queens someday. We will rule with Jesus. If the Bible was written today, what what kind of like governmental structure would we be like? Would they be talking about and would would this be based on? So would it say you will be a queen someday or would it say one day you'll be a president? You'll one day you'll be a, you know, like the Bible is written using monarchies because that's what the people of the Bible saw and knew, yeah. but that's not the only governmental structure. It's definitely not a perfect one. Again, God didn't even want them to have kings. So now to like flip everything to the Bible to all this royal monarchy kind of imagery, like, ah, yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't yeah. work. Like we can't be basing how we yeah. treat men and women and how we see rulership yeah on these old world stems like they were just writing what they knew but that's not not it yeah yeah it's very and i think this is very typical of the evangelicals of like the fast and loose with the literal versus figurative versus and it's it's fine you know like it's it's figurative here but it's literal there but it's also figurative but you know it's as long as it aligns with like this worldview that I have, then it's fine, you know, but like, but then, but then give anybody like, um, let anybody say like, well, I'm actually not sure if the, the flood that, you know, Noah's Ark, if that was like literal, I'm not sure if that was like, just to say, I'm not sure. And then you're like a flippin' heretic. It's a very, and again, it's the water they're swimming in. Some of the stuff I'm like, you are purposefully or just... Being offensive and whatever. When some of this, you're just saying things and you just haven't thought about them and you just think it is the way it is. So you're talking about these monarchies and they're very, very white conceptions of it because how would you deal with it in, you know, some of the nations where, yeah, you do have a queen, but 
she's it. And she is the actual, you know, ruler. Or if it's, you know, just a more matriarchal society, yeah. how are you going to walk in with your interpretation of the Bible and say, no, 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 because you are just dealing with the gender roles as you know them, as you've seen them. And just, you know, again, broad brush and just applying the standard to everyone. But just because that's all you know, so you've had to learn how to make it work. That doesn't mean that's the only way and that this is how it's supposed to be. Yeah. It doesn't, just because it's all you know doesn't mean it's all there is. You know? Right. Yeah. And I, I, I couldn't help, and I know this was, was um, a while ago that this was written, but I couldn't help but start to have some Christian nationalism vibes in this section where it says... Um, Christianity is not a passive religion. It is an invasion of a kingdom. We who are on the Lord's side must wield his victory. We must learn to enforce it. And then she says that women were created to reign. And I'm like, over what? Like, what are we reigning over? Like, I, but that, that had a very like red flag Christian nationalism vibe. Like, like this idea of we must learn to enforce it, you know? Yeah. And that, and that invasion terminology, you know, yeah. 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 And then it's followed up. So there's this fascinating verse in Judges 2. Um, and it says, you know, the Lord left some nations to test the Israelites. So they're fighting, 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 but they don't get victory all the time because God has said, oh no, I'm basically going to leave these people uh, it's practice rounds, you know, so you guys can keep learning how to fight. And then I said, imagine being, being the people, you know, who God let live just so you could be practiced on later. And then I got a little, mm. I got a little emotional because I said, I don't have to imagine. I am those people. Um, just this, this idea that, I don't know, like sometimes, sometimes it's just really easy to, to, to flip the Bible and just see it, see it from a different perspective. And this is one of those moments where I was like, oh, like this is, this is fan fiction being written by, by these people for these people. Do I think God literally left people to be practiced on by the Israelites? No. This is them writing yeah. the version of Their history. Their point of view. Right. Yeah. That, that works for them. Yeah. But I'm like, that is just such a, that's just such a hateful and such a hurtful perspective that God literally has left people just for you to fight them just for you to keep your, keep your skills up. Like God doesn't have a plan for those people other, other than that, but it's just hateful and hurtful. And also just ties in with that Christian nationalism idea. Like, Oh, these people, they're not real people. Yeah. And we don't have to feel anything about when the time comes to get rid of them because this is an invasion Yeah, and we have to, Enforces victory. Yes, that is very disturbing. It's weird in a chapter where they, I mean, they, they have gotten, they have quoted more Bible verses as we've gone on in the chapter. But now we're about to quote Braveheart again. But um, it's weird in a chapter that, that fixates so much on fiction and personal fiction and all of that. So then we jump right to this Old Testament story, you know, where it's like this, 
this wrathful God, this pre-Jesus God, you know, and and just really casually talk about, you know, disposable people, you know, and and I do sometimes wonder. I have wondered um, how like the Christian nationalist groups can be so dehumanizing and dismissive of you know image bearers you know and then I'm like oh okay yeah yeah as you say this yeah this is where it comes from it comes from this there's that God God let some enemies live you know so that we could prove ourselves you know that's that's a very that's a very anti-gospel way to look at it right because isn't the gospel for everybody for everybody and yeah. it's and it's also like just it's just weird because it's like well God if you're gonna give these people victory like why why do they need to know how to fight if you're gonna come in for them and this is free like God you could just do a lot of this on your own if you want to also if you just want these people to have this land why is all this death and mayhem needed especially because the Israelites you know at this point in the Bible are this wandering people. So if they're just wandering from place to place, I would assume other people could wander as well. So if you just really wanted people out of this land, why can't, why doesn't God just ever move people away? Like, hmm. you know, one morning the king just decided, you know what, we're just going to give this kingdom up and we're just going to go off into the wilderness. We're just going to go somewhere else. Like, but again, this is, this is fan fiction written by the people justifying you know what they've done yeah. and how they've gotten where they are um, yeah. and I can understand that from a historical perspective but it's so dangerous as like a future just way of dealing with people in situations yeah and when you then like if you if you look at it from from a historical you know the winner's the winners write history, right? The the or the the taker overs, you know, are the ones that get to write history. So if you look at it from that point of view, like you said, you can you can understand, you can empathize with that point of view. But then when you apply this this idea of like inerrancy to it, and then I do then that can become a lot more dangerous, you know, and um and and it's just as you were as you were talking about like why can't God just move people and it's like yeah doesn't God want those people to have a place to live too like I mean like I, it seems like they that they should have one you know like right yeah. and why is everything this this zero sum game right yeah. because um so much so much of the Bible so much of Christian nationalism so much of this stuff like is written written. Maybe not even written, but we've learned and been taught to read it just with this scarcity mindset and this idea yeah. that if I'm if I'm coming here, then only I can be here. And, you know, yeah. even in America with the Native Americans, they didn't you don't have to you don't have to kill these people. You could have just moved in and you were able to wipe a lot of them out because they had this mindset of no, we're not oh, we see new people coming. How can we help? Like, they're not meeting you with weapons. Like, they're meeting you with, oh, like, what do you need? You know, you knew about Columbus and all that. Oh, like, they saved him. Like, dragged your ass out of the ocean, and you turn around. and mass Because it's not that you need it. Like, it wasn't like there was there was scarcity here. 
Like, you could have coexisted, and you chose not to. Like, and it's this idea of, no, there can only be, there can only be one of us. We can only, and it's just not true. Yeah. And so even now, with Christian nationalism, nobody is trying to force an abortion on you. Nobody is forcing you to be trans. Nobody is forcing anything on you. You can do whatever you want. You just can't tell other people that they can't. Right. Right. They, nobody's taking anything from you by just being right. different. Yeah. Yeah, by making a different choice for their own life. Yeah, yeah. The idea of the scarcity mindset. I'm I'm um, about to teach um, my students. With, uh, we're going to look at the issue of homelessness. We're looking at a documentary. Um, and I was just thinking about like I, I I will often drive around my town. And first of all, there's lots of empty land. By the way, like so scarcity was wrong. Like there's plenty of spots left. You know. But I'll even just, like, drive around, like, you know, now, like, you know, we've got an empty Best Buy right nearby. And I think, like, couldn't that be converted into affordable housing? Or, like, why are there people on the streets when there's empty buildings is my, and it's a very, it's not just a Christian nationalist, but it's a very American mindset, you know, that, like, there's, like, we must come in, overtake take as much as we can, keep it for ourselves. And if you don't do that, then there's literally, you are literally bad. You are less, you know, you deserve to be without a home. It's very dark. It's, yeah. You have to talk about this insane, do not speak, do not offer, do not ask. <laughs> yes. So her friends are at a Healing the Wound Women's Ministry conference. Wait. During their little bow of hour of silence, they were supposed to go and journal and pray. Mm-hmm. And the one woman always felt that she had nothing of value to say. So the enemies, the, the spiritual attack message to her was do not, do not speak, right? Mm-hmm. And then the other lady was you have nothing of value to offer. So hers was do not offer. And then the other lady, so the three roommates, because of course at all these Christian conferences, they just pack as many people in the room as possible. I, I, I can't tell you how many conferences I slept on like a floor. I slept with like some random lady next to me, you know, like... I do not miss that at all. <laughs> I want my own hotel room. I don't want anyone near me. Um, right. <laughs> um, and then there was, and then the other lady was, no one, her belief, her lie was, no one will be there for you, so don't ask. You're too much trouble. Do not ask, do not ask. So then, during prayer, do not ask begins to have a major asthma attack, even though she doesn't have asthma. So, do not speak is sitting there and she won't say, or she's she's not sure if she should ask if do not ask is okay, and do not offer. Her kid has asthma, and so he knows she knows what asthma looks like, and she is afraid to say anything like to offer help because she's because she believes that she doesn't have any. 
I don't understand. And then, and then do not ask is afraid to ask for help while she's literally, according to the story, turning blue, blue. And then finally they, they all did the thing that they were afraid to do. So do not ask, ask for help. Do not speak. Asked her if she was okay and do not offer, offer help. They prayed and then she stopped turning blue. I don't understand why nobody called 911. I have asthma. I've never turned blue. I promise I've never turned blue. That is, a, that's alarming. This is where I'm like, this is where Christians, like, you're so weird. Like, you're not even being human at this point. Like, this isn't, never, never would it occur, do not speak, do not speak, do not speak. But this person looks like they're dying, but I can't see Dying, anything. turning a different color. I have nothing to offer. Nobody cares what I think. Nobody cares what I have to say. I can't speak. What? Who would even who would even have that thought? Like who would even see somebody turning blue and be like <laughs> I wish I could help. But I'm just such a turd that you know there's no way I could like who would think that? Like it's like, if you how are that person, you're like horrible. You're just you're a jerk. horrible. Because all you're thinking about in this moment is yourself. Because what is the worst case scenario here? Yo, are you okay? Yeah. You stupid bitch. How, <laughs> why would you speak to me? Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I just how, can't believe nobody How dare you one. speak to me? What are how you offering me? How do they like, know it's a spiritual attack anyway? Like, how, how do you know, how, what is, how do you know the difference between a regular asthma attack and a spiritual asthma attack? Like, I, I mean, this chick needs a nebulizer. She needs to go to the ER. Like, I mean, it's not normal to turn blue. To turn blue. But then, then that's what, okay, where, am I supposed to believe this story? <laughs> He's turning blue, and then all it took was, you know, I spoke loudly in the name of Jesus. Do not ask was freed and breathing deep. She was saved, rescued. It was not asthma. It was a spiritual attack. And uh, yeah. it seems God did it. Yeah. God did this because God wanted to teach them to something. Be... Like, yeah. What if they hadn't learned? Would she have died? Right. Is that, that's the alternate ending of this story. Right. Then they were just happy after that. They just laughed and until their <laughs> sides hurt. Because they realized the wild love of Jesus. I'm sorry. Uh, if we're in a room together and you stop breathing and turn blue and I, and somehow we cast it out, I'm still taking you to the ER. We're going on a little trip. Like we're going on an adventure. Like I just don't trust that. How do I know that in five minutes you're not going to Stop breathing again. You know, like right. people don't just stop breathing. They don't just like, stop just breathing. <laughs> or when we all go to sleep and I'm just not going to wake up in the morning. Like we don't. Yeah. Well, I, she's fine now. Yeah. She's good. <laughs> I mean, she'll be, she'll be surrounded by roommates, you know, when she's dying. So like maybe somebody, now they know to offer to help, I guess. So. <laughs> I or I guess they probably, they probably still would have told this story, but the one, the one who was, um, with the asthmas, do not ask, right? So then they would have been like, well, she didn't get over her lie. 
And then she died. And now I know that I should offer help. I, this is all, this is the, the like underlying assumptions in this chapter are very weird. Just, I didn't tell my husband about the Dizzy spells for decades. I didn't tell anybody about it. You know, these people are like watching each other die. And they're die. like, I don't know if I should talk. <laughs> I don't know how to human. I don't know what to do. Like, I'm like, how are you guys functioning? How did you get to this retreat? How are you functioning in daily life? This is so surely do not speak had to like ask for a hotel key like or something to get right. oh yeah and these are yes <laughs> these are the warriors they are oh like y'all have to be taught this this is what you're learning you got you're not you're not well and i don't <laughs> uh i don't have great hopes for your your battle prospects no yeah <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. This was this was exhausting, this chapter. It really was. She closes out with your life is a love story set in the midst of a life and death battle. Life and death. Where did that why? Where did that come from? For what? I don't care. What no. It I I real I really don't like I really hate this battle metaphor, you know, because it's just too, it's too close to the reality that we're living in, you know, and it's, it's, uh, you don't, there's no fight. It's like, you get to be you. Nobody's stopping you from being you. Right. You know, it's just not everybody's going to be just like you. Let us say it again. Your life is a love story set in the midst of a life and death battle. The beauty, the adventure, the intimacy, they are what are most real, but it is a battle to gain them and a battle to keep them, a battle for your own heart and a battle for the hearts around you. The Lord is a warrior, the Lord is his name, X15, 3, Jesus fights on your behalf and on behalf of those you love, he asks you to join him. Looking at this book from the perspective, everything is permissible. I cannot stop the Eldritches from writing a book, I just I can't do it. <laughs> but not everything is beneficial. Scale from 1 to 10. 10, beneficial for everyone. Go out and get this book and the matching armor if you want, because it's (laughs) 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 harmful for everyone, including the people who are only here on Earth to be practiced on. Um, Where would you put this book? I I would say she gets a bonus point for the for acknowledging the role of her antidepressants. Like that's to me her only bonus point here. So we'll give her like a two. We'll give her like a maybe a three, you know, because I mean it's not it's not like it's not like eating batteries, you know, like it's <laughs> not that bad. It's not, but I mean it. There's a lot of yeah, it, it, there's a lot of really abusive stuff glorified here, as as and not you know not just like like acknowledged but glorified and upheld. So so yeah, two. Let's let's go two. <laughs> So it's not eating batteries, but it might be like watching your friend eat them. <laughs> watching your friend eat batteries and then not saying it. <laughs> do not speak, do not speak, do not speak. <laughs> She's eating the battery. What do I do? What do I do, Lord? <laughs> Instead of captivating, what is something, book, movie, music, anything 
woman constructed and or woman focused that you would recommend? I looked at my my Goodreads list and um, the I read a book or I actually listened to the audio book of this book, Take My Hand. Author, her name is Dolan Perkins Valdez and um, it's a fictional account of written from the point of view of a nurse who worked in the South. And it's, it's a fictional account of a true story. So she was working in the South, and I, I can't remember exactly which state, but she was working in the South for like a women's clinic. And what they were doing though, was they were sterilizing girls, um, girls, of course, um, kind of without their knowledge and, with, and certainly without consent. And um, her getting into it, this, this woman had wanted to do good and, and help, you know, provide access to birth control and things like that, you know, um, and, and then, you know, got entangled in this other thing, but it is, it's based, it was very powerful, um, account and, and I think as a, as, as a white woman, as, as a woman with privilege, I think it's important for me to be made aware, you know, um, you know, like they, the, the author of Margaret Atwood who wrote Handmaid's Tale says, there's nothing in this show, there's nothing in this book um, or a show that has not happened already. It's, that's, it's stuff that has already happened. And um, I think it's important to be aware of those stories and to, to, to understand the humanity of those people um, who were involved. And I mean, and, and so we don't let it happen again, you know? Yeah, so that's kind of, I mean, it's, it's not an easy book, but it, it was very powerful. Was a, one, one other one, or there, I have a bunch, I, I read a lot, um, I'm an English teacher. Uh, I'll give a couple and I won't I won't tell as much about them. There was one, Last Night at the Telegraph Club by Melinda Lowe. Have you, this is a young girl, um, a Chinese-American girl actually growing up in San Francisco, questioning like her sexuality during like the 1950s. And it, it was really, it was really great. It was really beautiful. Um, and then my and then my last one, um, it's Sea of Tranquility by Emily St. John Mandel, the author of Station Eleven and The Glass Hotel. Like I'm just obsessed with her, so I just I just had to say it. So, so there you go. Yeah. There you go. Some uh, warrior princess reading. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and yeah, that's it. Any any closing thoughts? Final thoughts? Burning hmm. things you didn't get to say. Um, I did say this, but I, I feel I do feel it bears repeating. Um, if you have been busy for ten years, if your friend begins turning blue, um, call the doctor. Just go, go to the damn doctor uh, right now. Just go. If you are listening to this, and that's what's happening, turn us off. <laughs> go to the doctor. <laughs> you, you can play to- while driving. You exactly can pray that. while driving, but you get your ass to the doctor. So I was going to say, you can speak the name of Jesus the whole way there. If you the whole pray. way, the whole way. He can, he, he, you can tell the doctor too. You can pray with the doctor, whatever you need. That's fine. And that's that. Thank you for dropping in on the Bad Book Club. I certainly hope you had a better time listening than we did reading. Bad Words is an irreverent media podcast, the Legata Scratch production, and a God is not given side hustle. Produced by Janice Legata and made possible by the generous support of Jodley and Jodwilling patrons like Grace. 
Thank you, Grace. If you're enjoying this season, please let the people know by leaving a rating or a review on the podcast platform of your choice. And if you're looking for a better book experience, ask Amazon about The Grift of God and or The Divide by me, Janice Legata. And until we meet again, take care of you and be well. This has been an episode of Bad Words, but to finish up, here are some good ones. I think, um, well, I mean... This whole conversation surrounding abortion rights, just a woman's ability to make choices over her own body, I think it's just, it, it's the stuff that comes from the anti-choice crowd is like, every time I think I can't see something more disturbing, like, oh, here they come, like, here they come. And I, I, I really, you know, like the idea that people think it's acceptable that a woman should have to travel you know, um, or that a woman should be imprisoned or a doctor should be imprisoned. It seems like people going to the doctor with, you know, pregnant people, trans people going to the doctor and having a conversation with their own doctor about what they need. It just seems like that really truly is a basic human right. And I mean, because it is right. And, but it seems so weird that that's, controversial and you know right now so I would I, I think that I mean it's see and I also feel kind of kind of basic saying it but it's it just I can't beyond that if you don't if you don't have control over your own body as Stacey Eldridge did when she was a young teen you know then what do you have